0: thank you so much for investing and many of you helped out in so many ways to get gateway started many years ago God is using them and we praise God for it continues to use you here but also extensions of you in other places Moses was standing on the edge of the promised land looking at the next generation of people to come Moses is old he's about to die God showed him that and this is his farewell address Speaking to those young people out there who are coming along behind him, long gray beard, long gray hair, fire in his eyes, giving them the final address, standing there, and it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're looking at all 40 verses of this farewell address of Moses. We're doing it over the course of eight Sundays because I noticed everything in there those were things that we need today our culture needs America needs the church needs Christians need and so every word he spoke was really applicable to us so I wanted to take time and and go through what did Moses tell the next generation coming up well we finally reached the centerpiece of our passage this morning in verses 20 to 24 So far, he's looked at the next generation and he has told them, keep God's commandments. Do not add to it. Do not take away from it. Obey God's word exactly. He's told them to guard yourselves. And he's told them, do not fashion idols for yourselves, the work of your hands, and worship them. Don't do that. And now he arrives at the centerpiece of his message in verse 20. Listen to what he told him. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you and he swore that i should not cross the jordan and that i should not enter the good land that the lord your god is giving to you for an inheritance for i must die in this land i must not go over the jordan but you shall go over and take possession of that good land take care lest you forget to the covenant of the lord your god which he made with you and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you for the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous God now in this passage God looked at them that day and said I want you to remember three things next generation three things you need to remember first of all letter a on your outline number one remember what God has done with you remember what God has done with you he said in verse 20 you were enslaved in Egypt you were in a fiery furnace but God parted the Red Sea you went across on dry ground God brought you out of the iron furnace shape you through the wilderness to be the people of his very own inheritance and that's who you are today remember that now it is interesting to me what Moses said because he talked about an iron furnace I I brought you out of the iron furnace and what's interesting was they didn't have iron furnaces in those days Egypt didn't have them The iron furnaces that we know today, those what we call blast furnaces, the heat's up to about 1,500 degrees and cast iron skillets are made. They they didn't have those. They they had slow burning furnaces, lower temperature ovens. And so you had to repeat the process to get the the impurities out over and over and over. And so God is saying, I took you as a people and over and over and over, I put you in situations that would bring out the impurities and get rid of them so you could be an inheritance of mine now I want you to notice the word that's used for iron furnace there it's pretty interesting the word for iron furnace is the word kur, K-U-R you'll see it on the screen it means to forge or dig it was a small furnace to forge idols or to remove impurities So, so here's what the Israelites did they would, take a, they would dig a small hole in the ground if they wanted to, to, to make something. They built a small hole in the ground. They put this hearth called a cur inside of the hole. They would take charcoal or ore, put it on top of it, and then use blow pipes to heat it up. And, and they would do this over and over again until finally this, fa- this object would fashion out of that and they would st- seize it or snatch it out of the fire and so so they they knew this process of the cur the the k-u-r they knew that and so god used that same analogy that they used that knew and used the same word and he said you were in fire you were enslaved in egypt and it was burning you were crying out to me and i and i waited till just the right moment and i snatched you out of the iron furnace and i brought you as a prized possession of mind so he used the same analogy but here he went one step further he said next generation your grandparents and your parents and you have used the curve in the wrong way you made idols and worshiped you would dig the hole in the ground and you'd place the hearth and you'd get the coal and the ore and the blowpipes and you you would fashion out of metal something you're going to worship and you'd take it out of the fire and hold it as yours and it was a golden image. But I took you and I got all of that out of you and I made you mine. You see, folks, the problem God had with the Israelites, the next generation, he had gotten them out of Egypt, but he hadn't got Egypt out of them. That was the problem. And sometimes God calls us out of the world, but he doesn't get the world out of us. And we still fashion those idols and those images and those things that we bow down to, the work of our hands, maybe a job or maybe your family or a hobby but something that's a work of your hands you fashioned and you hold it dear you worship it and God says I need to use that process to get those impurities out of your life maybe this morning you came to church you said pastor I'm going through a fire I mean there are things going on in my life right now and God has not seen fit to deliver me from those and the reason is he's waiting until the impurities to get you exactly the way he wants you to be And then he'll snatch you out of the fire. It's a process to make you who he wants you to be. Those of you who who know music, pianos, the, the name in pianos through all these years, 150 years, has been Steinway. Steinway Piano. You just say the name, and everybody knows it's skillfully made and it's one of the best. Started in Hamburg, Germany, came to New York City, they started making the the pianos, and do you know that the Steinways are built the exact same way today they were built 150 years ago? Takes 200 craftsmen, takes 12,000 parts, and here's how they do it. They take 18 layers of maple, and they bend it around an iron press known as a rim-bending process, and they shape the, the body of it. But that's not the most important part. The most important part are the keys because that's the sound. So they take the keys into what's called the pounder room, and they pound them over and over and over and Steinway says every key has been pounded 10,000 times before they sell it. 10,000 pounds on those keys for quality and durability and to ensure the precise sound that goes into that name. And God said, Israelites, I have taken you and you've been through the pounding process and out in that wilderness over and over and over you were in the fire at the exact moment I took you out because there's something in the name Christian that's a masterpiece and I'm fashioning you and who I want you to be so remember remember what God did with you he told the next generation But second of all, he said, remember what God has done with me. Verses 21 and 22. Second thing I want you to remember, not just what God has done with you, I want you to remember what God has done with me. Moses looked out the next generation, he says, I'm not allowed to go into the promised land because of you. God swore to me that I would not enter the good land. He is giving you as an inheritance. I'll die here, but you're going to get to go to Canaan. Now, I, I wondered, why did he mention that to them? That's odd. He would bring up this incident. Do you, you remember what happened? Go back several years to this generation's dads and granddads. All the way back to Exodus 17. they left Egypt by the Red Sea parting. They're out in the wilderness and they're marching there. Moses is leading them. And they're complaining about everything. They complain because it's too hot. They don't have food. They don't have water. Complaining against God. Let's go back to Egypt. Complaining against Moses. What kind of leader are you? They were complaining about everything, questioning God, questioning Moses, and Moses was getting tired of it. And there they are in Exodus 17, marching through this hot wilderness and they're thirsty. They have no water. And they say, Lord, Why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? We're thirsty out here. Moses, we're thirsty. And Moses went to God and says, God, the people are complaining. They need water. There's not any water around. Nowhere. He said, Moses, take your staff. There's a big old rock over there. Take your staff and walk over to the rock and strike the rock twice. And water will flow out of the rock enough for everybody to drink. So Moses walked over, struck the rock twice, water gushed out, and everybody drank. And oh, thank you, God, for providing for us. And they went on. Years later, it didn't get better. The Israelites were complaining against God and against Moses, and they're complaining even more. And Moses has had it just about up to here and they get thirsty again out in the desert and they're going God where where where's the water we can't find any water Moses what kind of leader are you you let us to know water out here and they're complaining against Moses and he's getting angry and God said Moses here's what you do there's a rock over there I want you to go get Aaron's rod and I don't want you to hit the rock I want you to speak to the rock and say rock Water, may water pour forth from you. That's what God told him to do. But Moses is mad. He's tired of it. So he walks over to that rock, and rather than speaking to it, crakes his stick and pow, pow, twice, there's your water, go get a drink. And water gushed out. God said, Moses, not what I told you to do. You acted in anger. You didn't treat the things of God as holy, and you disobeyed me. And because of it, you're not going to get to enter the promised land. They will. Generation behind this group will. But you won't. You can see it. I'll show it to you. But you'll not enter it. And so now, on this day, standing there before the people, Moses said, I want you to remember god did with me because of you i don't get to go into the land you do have fun knock yourself out it's gonna be fun i'm not going to go in because of you i didn't think he would bring this up in the farewell address but he did Now, Moses wasn't blaming the Israelites. He took responsibility for it. He was basically saying, I sinned because you sinned. So take responsibility for your sins and realize that sometimes your actions cause somebody else to sin. Now, here's a greater lesson that the text is driving Moses reminded the next generation what God had done because he wanted them to realize your disobedience has consequences. Now some people say, wow, Moses didn't get to go to heaven? He didn't say that. He he went to heaven when he died. He just didn't get to enter the promised land while he was on earth. He lost his earthly inheritance. He didn't lose his heavenly one. Pastor, how do you know Moses went to heaven? If you go to the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And appearing from heaven was Elijah and Moses. They're on top of the mountain. So he went to heaven. So he didn't lose his salvation, but he lost his inheritance. He lost those things that his disobedience caused. And, folks, this morning, you you can sin and be forgiven and God forgive you, but there may be consequences you have to face. There There may be consequences as a result of your actions. That affects you and other people you can be forgiven it's a reminder that generation needed and it's a reminder our generation needs as well there are consequences to disobedience period our generation that we live in today it's a generation that's very forgiving Somebody makes a mistake if you come out and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. I, this culture will bend over backwards and say, that's okay, we'll give you another chance. It's a, it's a culture of second chances. And that's good in some ways, but it's, it's bad in some ways. Because everybody needs a second chance, but we also need to be reminded That whenever we fail, there are consequences to what we do that that sometimes never leave. And we don't hear that. And then you come inside church and you don't hear it either. We come inside church and we hear, well, Jesus is loving and merciful and gracious, and whatever you do, He'll forgive you, and everything will be, be all right. I, I agree that Jesus will forgive anything, but there are consequences we have to face. You, you may lose your earthly inheritance. This morning, if I got angry with my executive pastor here, Brother Dennis, and I, if I were to slay him, that's the King James word. If I were to slay him, and then if I were to say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have got so angry with Dennis. That was I shouldn't have done that. I really, I am truly repentant, and I'm sorry. God would forgive me if I'm truly repentant. But Dennis is still dead. And Sandra is still a widow. And his two kids are still without dads and his one grandson creed has no granddad oh I'm forgiven but tell the neil household that you see sometimes our consequences are still there you're forgiven but he wanted the next generation to realize the actions your actions have consequences This past week I was, um, I had an appointment and so I was driving to the appointment, I had Christian radio on, I was listening to a song and I was thinking about the sermon this morning, listening to the song and I realized the words of the song were not true, they're not biblical. In fact, they're just downright wrong very popular contemporary Christian song listen to the words sometimes on this journey I get lost in my mistakes well looks to me like weakness is a canvas for his strength and my story isn't over it's only just begun failure won't define me because that's what my father does Arrival's not the end game. The journey's where you are. God never wanted perfection. He just wants your heart. Hold it. Time out. No, that's wrong. That, that is not biblical. Whenever it says that That my story isn't over, it's only just begun. Failure won't define me because that's what my father does. Hold on, failure can define you. It defined Moses. He's saying, I'm not going to get to go. Failure defined him. It defined David. Oh, no, wait a minute. David's a man after God's own heart. Absolutely he was. But if you study his life, it breaks down very easily before Bathsheba and after Bathsheba. I mean, before Bathsheba, things were going great, and he was a powerful man. And Bathsheba happened and killed her husband Uriah, and God forgave him. Psalm fifty-one thirty-two poured out his heart. But the rest of his life was different. Different than the earlier David. Bathsheba defined him. And Solomon, he had those wives that led him away to foreign gods, and they defined who he was. As great and as wise as he was, they defined him. Failure can define you. Most people don't remember that President Richard Nixon was, he was a wonderful foreign diplomat, and he had a really cute dog named Checkers but they don't remember that they remember Watergate failure can define you absolutely it can and whoever said God never wanted perfection he just wants your heart where is that ever in scripture he says when you're saved you have a standard and so our, our Con- there are consequences to our actions i went back and read the, the lyrics of the entire song not one word about consequences to your actions and they're not one but we gather in churches and sing it and feel so, oh so good about ourselves yes you're forgiven but moses wanted you to know there are consequences Amen. to actions And then the third thing he wanted them to remember verses 23 and 24 let her see what you must do now what god did with you what god did with me and now what you must do now listen to what he said verse 23 take care Lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Now the word forget that you'll see there on the screen, sakah, it means, it means to fail to remember, but it also means to ignore. So Moses could be saying to the next generation, make sure you don't ignore what God's told you to do. In other words, you know it. You're just failing to remember it. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord God. Your God now he says three times at the end right here in, in the in the last two passages verses he says three times the Lord your God the Lord your God the Lord your God look at the screen here usually whenever the Bible talks about the Lord it uses the word Jehovah sometimes it uses the word Elohim a more general word more of a creative word for God sometimes every now and then the two words are combined together to be more powerful And so Moses combined them looking at the group that day. He said, do not forget the Lord your God. He was powerful when he said it. Don't forget him. Don't forget his covenant. And the word take care, take care that you don't forget it. It's a word we've seen every single Sunday of the series. It's the Hebrew word shamar. Remember shamar? That's the word that Moses has used five times so far. Five times in four weeks. He said, Shamar, 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 as he looks at the next congregation. And the word shamar means guard vigorously, fiercely. Remember the dog image, the dog around a bowl? Remember that? Guarding that bowl, anybody comes near it, or a sentinel, guarding a palace, nobody's coming near it. And so far, he's told the congregation, he's told that next generation, guard the Word of God, guard your soul, guard your life. And now for the fourth time, he says, guard your life twice. Now for the fifth time, he says, guard your faith in Christ, the covenant, your relationship with God, guard that. The word shamar is a powerful word. So Moses just wasn't up here speaking. He was shouting. Shamar! Your faith in God. Guard it. So this morning, I want to say the same to you that Moses said to the next generation. Folks, guard your faith guard your faith in Jesus Christ we live in a culture that there are people outside these walls they want to make you give up your faith they want to make you question your faith they want to make you question God and his word they want to make you question things you guard it high school students when you're going to high school just started and you're in a class that says something that goes against this guard your faith college students this week is the first class what well, their classes starting tomorrow if you're in a secular university and you hear something taught that goes against this you guard your faith college students going to a church school private Christian school you hear something that goes against this You guard your faith. All of us, you have friends. Oh, I got this new book. I know you're a Christian, but oh, this is going to help you understand the Bible better. And all it does is go against the Bible. Guard your faith. You hear taught out there, you need this new perspective. You need this new ideology, this, this new whatever out there. You need to grow. You need to expand past your faith. No, no. Guard your faith. The Bible never commands us to expand beyond our faith. It tells us to guard our faith. And the Bible says if you're going to grow, grow in this. Guard your faith. What Moses said we need. Then the last verse seems kind of odd. It Seems out of place. After Moses tells the generation this, then he ends it with a verse 24 that seems kind of odd and out of place. He says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. What does that have to do with anything? But hold on a second. It's a a play on words. If you go back to verse 20, remember the fiery furnace. Remember the iron furnace. And so now what he's saying is in the play on words, He is saying you were brought out of the iron furnace now be careful that you don't fall back into the fire of God's wrath by worshiping the idols that came from the fire six times in the Bible God tells his people I'm a consuming fire fire destroys the worthless and purifies the precious and then he said, I'm a jealous God. Wait a minute, Pastor. I, I didn't think we're supposed to be jealous. I thought jealous was something bad. Doesn't the New Testament say, don't be jealous? That jealousy is a fruit of the, of the flesh? Yeah. But in the Old Testament Hebrew concept, they have no concept of, of what we know in English as jealousy. The word jealous, kana in Hebrew means fiercely loyal, zealous, protective, intolerant of unfaithfulness. And so here's what God is saying. God is telling that next generation, I am fiercely loyal to you, so you be fiercely loyal to me. Chuck Swindoll uh, told about a time whenever he was in the Marines, back as a young man, and he said they, they had an event where all the Marines were required to participate, and he said, just to be honest, participating in it would have made me compromise my faith and made me to bow to someone and something over Jesus. I'd become a Christian, and I'd made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He was going to be my Lord, and I would not bow to anyone but him. And now I'm in the Marines, I'm commanded to bow. He said, I refused to do it. First time I had ever disobeyed a command of my commanding officer, Captain Birch. And he said, Captain Birch was furious at me. He called me into his office. He said, Swindle, who do you think you are? He said, Sir, at the moment I'm not certain myself. But may I explain? He said, Talk fast. He said, Sir, I declared my allegiance to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and he's my boss. I will obey nobody but him. He said, Captain Birch's mouth flew open and his face got red. He was so mad. He stopped for a moment. He said, well, young man, at least you have courage. Now get out of here. He said, I walked out that day. and No discipline came. But I'd already made a decision. The call of my Savior is clear. He commands my complete allegiance, fiercely loyal to him. And then nobody above him, no matter what. That's what Moses told the group that day. And what God is telling us today. Lord, thank you for your word today and thank you for speaking it to us. Thank you for loving us enough to send it through Moses to the Israelites and then 3,000 years later to us. Lord, it's amazing Three thousand years later, how we need the same thing as the next generation needed. God, it is my prayer today that every one of us here will be fiercely loyal to you. That God, no one else or no thing else will take your rightful place in our lives. Father, help us all realize today that even though we're forgiven, that our consequences, our, our choices have consequences. God, may we never say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. What's a little drink? What's a a little drug? What's a little sexual encounter? God, may we never say that. May we realize that even though we're forgiven, there can still be consequences. And God, help us just to be faithful to you as Moses commanded. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. In his name I pray.